that uh, I do talk about what used to be Victory and Our Light City, every place I go, because I believe that this is one of the most unique generational churches that I have the privilege to come to and connect with. I see such a healthy heart process happening here among your body where it's, you know, how many of you know that we are done with the day of God's man of power for the hour? How many of you know that? You know, you need to know that if you don't know that. It's not about God's man of power for the hour. It's about Christ's body of power for this moment. Come on, it's the body of Christ. It's not just an individual. Could I get an agreement in the room, anybody? So I believe you guys are modeling that in really a, a beautiful, powerful way. And to, to see not only what's happening within this body right here in Fort Erie, but then what you're seeking to do in Uganda, what you're seeking to do in Buffalo, is just an incredible, incredible thing of giving yourselves away. John Wimber used to teach us, John Wimber, who is the founder of the, the Vineyard Movement, uh, was a mentor of both Randy and myself. Uh, not a personal mentor to me, but he was to Randy. He was a mentor by tapes and, and books. But Wimber always used to say, the best way to keep what you've been given is to give it away. So you always give away your best and you continue to allow who you are to be multiplied throughout the earth. So not, now that Ian is back in the room, I can go ahead and give him what I've got this morning. Stand up, the two of you. So every time I see you guys since I've been here, I see this scene from The Lion King. And how many of you know The Lion King? Anybody know Lion King? How many of you love that movie? Anybody? It's, it's a kingdom movie. It really is. So Mufasa takes his son Simba, and they go up on the big mountain. How many of you remember this scene? Anybody remember that? And he's saying, yeah, okay, enough. Stop, stop. So they're up on the mountain, and he shows them horizon to horizon and says, all of this will be yours. And what he's doing is he's telling his son, you're part of the family business, this is, this is going to be yours, and I'm going to show you how we're going to steward this and rule over this together. And then there's that piece where <clears throat> Simba says, well, what about that dark place over there? And in the movie, Mufasa says, well, that's, that's not ours. We don't go over there. Well, that's where the analogy breaks down. Because how many of you know that in the kingdom, it's the dark place that we go to first? Could I get an agreement in the room, anybody? So here's what I had for you guys. I feel like that Aslan, Jesus, as the lion, is taking you guys up on a, on a mountain that overlooks this entire region, which includes the entire Buffalo uh, metropolitan area. And you've seen the dark places that are also opportunities for light to break out in a significant way. And it's a mission impossible task. It's a mission impossible task. But you're, you're also Ethan Hunt. How many of you guys know I like movies? Oh, yeah. So you're Ethan Hunt, right? And God has prepared you for this moment for what happened in Crystal Beach, what happened here, and now what's going to happen in the future. And when Joshua and the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan into the promised land, they put a sandal footprint on that land that the minute 
their sandal hit that land, the land was already theirs because it was God's promise to them. Now here's the interesting thing about it. They were absolutely overwhelmed by all the odds. They were facing huge fortified cities. They were facing pagan armies that were 10 to hundreds of times larger than they were, and yet they stepped into that without fear. And it's interesting, a few years ago, the National Geographic did a satellite survey of Gilgal, and Gilgal is the place where they actually crossed over, and they, they put a, a, a memorial uh, thing there, and they looked down upon that property, and what they saw was a geographic uh, formation that looked exactly like a sandal footprint. I mean, it was big enough that they could see it from space. And I'm saying to you that I, I know you guys don't think this way, but I'm saying it for the rest of your congregation and for everybody online is simply this. You may think that your sandal footprint is small at this moment, but I'm telling you it is reverberating throughout this entire region in such a way that people's hearts are already being turned towards the complete restoration of the soul of Buffalo. The soul of Buffalo is being restored. This, the soul of this region is being restored from hopelessness and despair into hope and belief for the absolute impossible. And I declare of you guys in Jesus' name, because you are forerunners, you're, you're, this is what I love, look at me guys, I want, this is what I love about you guys. You and I grew up in, in a generation where we had leaders that said, my church is going to take the city. My church is going to do this. My church is going to do that. And that's not what you guys are at all. You're kingdom people in that you are about connecting with as many people as possible and say, hey, let's do this together. And that's what it's about. But I'm saying to you right now in Jesus' name, Jesus is giving you a, a, a footprint that is reverberating over this city that is literally going to not only break open the storehouses of heaven for you in this mission impossible task, but everything that you need has already been provided for you in the name of Jesus. So stretch out your hands to these guys. Father, I bless them in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, for the faith to believe for the impossible and the anointing of God that rests upon them, God, to believe for that which is above and beyond anything they could ask or think. Let Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 be a banner over their life, over, um, over Light City and over everything they set their hand to in this day. And God, thank you that you've called them into the family business to steward both the light and the dark places and to turn on the light in the darkest of places in this region. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I just had to get that off my chest there real quick. I had to, had to get that going. We're going to go to Isaiah 61 today. <clears throat> Uh, as Ian mentioned, one of the things uh, after I left pastoring for over 35 years and I accepted Dr. Randy Clark's invitation to come and direct Global School of Supernatural Ministry and a number of his education programs, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, begin to pray for people who suffered with trauma. And um, whenever, how many of you are ready, you feel like that God is opening a door for you, but you haven't stepped across the threshold yet? 
Are there people in the room that you would say that's true of you? Would you raise your hand? How many of you? Let me say something to you, that if it's, if it's the, the door that God has opened for you, that you may feel overwhelmed and you're not sure if you can make that step. But I'm saying to you that if it's God, it's worth everything to make that step across the threshold. Because what you may not realize, what I didn't realize, is that when I stepped across the threshold of leaving uh, a state that I had spent 58 years of my life in, leaving my children, my grandchildren, everything that was familiar to us, and moved to Pennsylvania and began doing something that I had never done before, uh, that there was, when I stepped across the threshold, there was more on the other side of the door than what I thought I was getting. Catch this, guys. There's so much more. Now, the thing is, if God told you on this side what it was, you would absolutely shrink back and say, I, I, I can't do it. The, the reason why these declarations are so important of, of declaring who we are and what God has promised us is that you have been trained your entire life to always go to the negative default. And you have enough integrity that's been built into you that you, it's hard for you to say, I am prosperous when you can't pay your electricity bill this month. But the reality is that the declarations that we make are not based upon what's available at this moment. The declarations we make are based upon the promises of God. But we are in the midst of tearing down strongholds, of casting down imaginations, and the tearing down of every lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. And the, the, what, is, what are the things that raise itself up against the knowledge of God? It's all the negative default, all the negative things that you have been programmed with your entire life about what you're not, what's not available to you, what's not possible for you, what is, what is not true about you. That's been programmed into you time and time and time and time again. And those moments that you don't feel, when you feel weak, when you don't feel close to God, your thinking automatically defaults to those positions. How many of you understand what I'm saying yes. here? Yes. So, if God, because, I mean, Papa knows us. <laughs> he knows how quickly we get, we really get kind of intimidated into stepping and get fearful because what he would have us step into is so far greater than anything we could ever imagine or think. Well, I'm, I'm going a direction today that I didn't realize it was going, but here it goes. So the reason why you need to step across that threshold is because there are dreams of God about you and for you that were in God's heart when he created you Amen. that will not be fully realized until you step across that threshold. And it will be so much more. Say much more. much more. If you were just to look up that phrase in your Bibles, just look up much more and see how often it refers to what God wants to do with you and for you. Much more more how much more there is available on the other available for you on the other side of that door
than there is right now. So what that looked like to me was I ended up seeing first hundreds and now literally thousands of people healed of post-traumatic stress disorder, of seeing people have spirits of suicide broken off of them, chronic nerve pain, see people who were told that they, that the condition that they suffered with post-traumatic stress disorder was incurable. They would have to live with it for the rest of their lives. And to see people taken off the edge of literally killing themselves because they couldn't stand their torment and seeing them set free. Both military first responders as well as just people who have been abused and wounded in life and traumatized. And so it's such a privilege and exciting thing. Uh, I personally have seen uh, about 1,575 people healed of post-traumatic stress disorder. I've trained over 8,000 people throughout the United States as, and, and Canada, as well as five other countries. And I know, I don't have every single testimony, but I know enough of the numbers to know that we've seen over, all of those people have seen over 10,000 people healed of post-traumatic stress disorder. Would somebody give thanks to God? That's just within the last three years. So back on the, on the resource table, there's some of Randy's books. There's a DVD uh, that has the seminar, uh, how, how to pray for people with post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, Randy Clark is the king of laminated prayer cards. <laughs> so they're awesome little teaching tools. And so that's back there. That's the, that's, the, uh, that's the prayer model that's there. And there are things back there that you can take advantage of. But this morning, we're going to move into a time of impartation of strength and anointing and, and healing for you. But as we look into Isaiah 61 this morning, I just want to show you a quick video of a guy that I didn't pray for. Actually, a guy that I trained prayed for this guy. And as you watch this, uh, the, the video, it's called Eric, Eric's Testimony. And... What you're going to see, here are the things I want you to see in this. Bad things happen to Eric. And bad things happen to Eric, and it took him into a place where he was no longer living out the dream of God for his life. And it was at the moment that he actually began to see himself the way that God saw him. We're in Isaiah 61 this morning. The message, the theme of this message is becoming the vengeance of God. You and I are living in a day and a time when, at least in, in Western society, we're waking up, and primarily it's been due to the advent of the internet and social media and understanding all that's happening in the world, that we're waking up to the need for the church to become a, a weapon in the hand of God to tear down injustice in our world. That, that uh, the best that governments can do is throw money at a problem. The best that governments can do is create huge bureaucracies that pay a lot of money for people's salaries to pass around a lot of papers. But the reality is, is that although they may bring a little bit of relief, I know this sounds strange, 
But in the economy of God, governments were never meant to deal with the injustice that's in this world. They are, they punish injustice, but literally to get at the root of what happens in injustice in the world is in the lap of the church. Because you see, the thing that you have to understand is this. From the moment that you came out of your mother's womb, you entered a war zone. And that war zone is this battle between the occupying forces of the kingdom of God taking back what was stolen through Adam's disobedience in the garden. And that which came upon the earth, which were the powers of the kingdom of darkness, that were against the love, the rule, and reign of God on the earth, have been all about seeking to steal, kill, and destroy the dream of God for this earth from that moment. See, you have to understand that as beautiful as the earth is, as, as awesome as the human body is and as great as things can be for a lot of us, the reality is, is that we're in a war zone and that the way that the earth is today is not the dream of God for this earth. You know, because I pray for a lot of people with trauma, people a lot of times ask me, did God cause this trauma? Where was God in the midst of my trauma? What what it was, and, and there, you know, there are some movements in, in Christianity that place the blame for everything bad on God. That it's actually a, a, a horrible misrepresentation of the character of God being a good God when you place everything to blame on God, and that somehow there's a mystery that, yeah, you know, you may have been abused your entire life, but God was in that and he's going to use it for your good. Can I just give a theological term for that? Baloney! It's ridiculous. You end up with a schizophrenic God who on one side is calling me to trust him and love him and, and welcome him into my life. And on the other side says, well, because I know better than you do, I'm going to put cancer on you or I'm going to put sickness on you or I'm going to let you live in an abusive situation and be broken over and over and over again. But I'll turn it out for good for you. Understand that's a huge stronghold in, in Christianity these days. We are called to represent who the Father is as represented through Jesus. And he made it really clear that the Father that he was representing was a good Father, was a Father that was all about the much more of blessing and grace and peace and healing. You know, he said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he's not talking about when you cross over into the pearly gates into the heavenly realms. He's talking about the here and the now. Right now, abundant life. How many of you believe in that? Anybody? How many? You know, I, it, it doesn't make any difference whether you feel like you're experiencing the abundant life now. The fact that you have Jesus in your life, the fact that you're in this place, tells me that you've tapped in to at least to have a taste of what the abundant life is really all about. So in Isaiah 61, we see this prophecy that I 
if you've been in church at all for any period of time, Isaiah 61 is kind of a foundational scripture of understanding the, the ministry of Jesus the Messiah and understanding what the kingdom is all about. And when I talk about becoming the vengeance of God, this is what I want you to understand as I step into this, is that everything that has denied the dream of God for your life, everything that has brought suffering and torment and torture and has, has just made life miserable is not part of the dream of God for your life. That indeed it's God's desire. I mean, this is the greatest restoring of justice in the earth is to restore the dream of God so that we understand that Lack and poverty and sickness and disease and hatred and racism and sexual trafficking and human trafficking and people being abused and beaten and put into shackles and chains has never been part of God's plan for this earth. That is everything about Satan seeking to degrade the human condition to such an extent that the human Life is about hopelessness and despair rather than about transformation and life and love and grace. And that, my friends, is in our assignment. It's our assignment. To the extent that we give that up to any other organization in the earth, we are abandoning that which we as a church have been called to produce in this earth, and that is restoring the dream of God for people's lives. Could I get an agreement in the room, anybody? <laughs> Isaiah 61, once again, this is the prophecy that the Jewish people, when Messiah came, they would see Messiah and what he did and the message that he brought, and then they would see him and they would look at this prophecy and say, okay, is this what this person is doing? And then they would know then, okay, this is true Messiah. How many of you know if you know enough about particularly the history before Jesus came that there were a number of false messiahs that came to the Jewish people and they were, most of them were political and they were trying to raise up their own things. So this is that prophecy. Look with me in verse one. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Let's stop there. I'm not done in this passage, but let's stop there. So, real quick, and this is foundational kingdom theology, that when Messiah came, he didn't come in his own strength, but he came with the anointing of the Spirit of God. The only way that he would be able to accomplish these next things, these next uh, part of his mission, was under the anointing of the Spirit of God. Years ago, um, in the 90s, there was a group of 
folks that were part of the church growth movement that um, they had, you know, in the 90s was the mega church era where there were churches with, you know, thousands of people in them. And, and so they brought over a contingent of pastors and leaders from the Chinese church, from the underground church. And they were able to get out and they were able to spend some time. They were not, obviously they were resourcing them, resourcing the Chinese church, but they took them to the different churches and showed them all that was going on in the United States in terms of the massive church growth. And, and uh, when, they, when they got done and they were sitting with the leaders and kind of giving a feedback session as they were getting ready to leave, the, the Chinese leaders said this, we are absolutely in awe and amazed. We are absolutely overwhelmed just how much you here in America, in the church, are able to accomplish without the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Don't know what kind of compliment that is. You know, I, I pastored in a charismatic Mennonite church for a number of years. Yes, huh? there are charismatic Mennonites. They really are. They're wonderful people. Yeah, come on, there's a Mennonite back there. I hear it, there it is. Yay. But, you know, they like, to, they like to use, they're not much, I mean, they accept technology, but they like to use some of the old ways. So Yoder was used to using cross-cut saws in cutting down his trees. How many of you know what a cross-cut saw is, right? And it's the, like that. And one day he heard uh, that they had this new technology called, a chainsaw. And so he went to the, to the hardware store and said, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to try this out. So the guy brought out his best chainsaw. And the guy says, you know, I guarantee you that you're going to be able to cut down at least 10 trees a day with this chainsaw. And Yoder says, okay. So he, he took it and he, he, uh, he was out there for a few days. And finally, he brought the chainsaw back. And he says, I just want to tell you, that, uh, you know, you guaranteed to me that I'd be able to cut down 10 trees a day, and I'm only able to cut down five trees a day with it. And the, the hardware salesman took it, put it on the counter, and he took it, and he took the, the, uh, the rope, and he went boom like that, and Yoder says, what's that noise? So for many of us, we feel like that this impossible mission from God is something that we've been given and that we have to, in our own wisdom and our knowledge and our strategy and our amazing programs, do something in order to be fulfilling of God. And what we end up with is something that is so subpar, it's so subnormal to what God really desires for us. We think that by our, I mean, I'm all about programs and feeding the poor and everything like that. But if we think we can do those things without the power of the Spirit of God enabling us, then we're going to be like the Kiwanis Club or the Rotary Club or, 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 or clubs that have nothing of the gospel in them. 
And the reality is there's so much more. It's not just about giving a food and, and helping those in, in just situations. It's really about helping them to see the power of the gospel, to see the power of God, to transform them, to not just put them in a place where they are provided for, but literally bring them to a place where they learn how to count on God's provision for them and help them to step into a place of no longer being victims, of no longer being those that must be dependent, but instead they become people that literally are the givers themselves. How many of you understand that process? So when it says the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, he had this mission impossible task of literally going into territory that was once owned by his father, but going into a territory that had no hope of transformation and being the very first one who would step in to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament, to step in and to drive back the powers of darkness that were keeping humanity in chains and shackles. And he says, the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news. That's the, the gospel, the good news, not to the rich and famous, not to the, to the uh, religious establishment, to, but to the poor and the afflicted. Now, here's the, the stereotype that you and I have got to get out of, is that the poor and the afflicted are not just in the slums. The poor and the afflicted are not just the homeless, are not just those who are economically poor, but the poor and the afflicted sometimes sit as CEOs in top of high office buildings in the midst of executive office suites. You see, who's going to, who, seriously, it's really easy to say, okay, let's set up a food pantry and feed the poor, but who is going to minister to the penthouse? Who is going to minister to the one who has the greatest influence over not only the city, but literally over nations? Because I'm telling you, that person, whether male or female, is just as poor, just as afflicted, just as needy of the good news of the kingdom as the one who doesn't know where the next meal is coming from. And the worst part of it is they are more deceived because they have been given everything that this society has promised that if you get to this level, then you've made it. And what they've, they, you know, this is why I say the folks in Hollywood are some of the most wretched souls I've ever seen. They're wretched, poor, pitiful, naked, and blind, and they are completely without hope, which is why they have to use so many drugs and alcohol and sexual encounters in order to keep going to just dull the pain that they have because they've been given everything the world has promised them in terms of success and fame and they still end up empty. So let's break out of this stereotype that the poor and afflicted are only the homeless and the ones that need the next meal. And somebody, you know, I, I was in an urban ministry class in my seminary days in Chicago, and we would literally go to different places within the city, and we'd go to some of the worst places and some of the most poorest places. We'd go into some of the enclaves, the ethnic enclaves. But then I remember a day that we stood at Lake Point Towers, which is right on Lakeshore Drive. It's this huge, massive condominium, and, and they have... They have their shops, they have their restaurants, they're all in that huge condominium. And our, my instructor, Ray Baki, 
stood there with us at that door and said, the people that are in this building, and this is in the 80s, have to make at least a hundred to $200,000 a year to be able to even qualify to be in here. Most are millionaires that live in this. And who is it, what church is it that will minister to these folks? Because these folks, all they know is that this is their life, this condominium. They go back and forth from their office, but these are the movers and shakers of the city of Chicago who will minister and give the good news to them. Come on, somebody's getting this this morning. This is for people in here understanding who the poor and afflicted are. Said he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Brokenheartedness is a condition when you have been traumatized, when you have been wounded, when, when what has come at you in life has so stolen the dream of God for you that literally you identify part of your identity is that you are a victim of trauma or that trauma is part of your life. It is literally the idea, and I use this in my seminar, it's like having a glass mirror. And you hold that glass mirror up and you can see a pretty good representation of yourself. But if you throw that glass mirror on the ground, it shatters into hundreds of pieces. And that glass mirror represents your identity, who you really are. And when you try to look at yourself through that shattered mirror, you don't see who you really are, who God dreamed you to be, but you see yourself in the light of all the trauma and the wounding that, that has gone, you've been through. And what happens with those that have been traumatized is that literally that trauma gets wrapped around their identity. So they don't see themselves apart from the way people have treated them, or from the experiences that they've had. And so it's hard for them to see anything positive about themselves because they have entered into a victim mindset. Hear me, a victim mindset that this is what my life is about, that I am defined by what has happened to me or how people have treated me. And I'm saying to you, the good news of the kingdom is this, you are no longer defined by your history. You are no longer defined by how people have treated you, what has happened to you. No matter how badly the world has treated you, that is not what defines you. Because you see, you have to understand that all of that's happened to you, even that which happened to you and your family, all that, hap that happened to you is part of the plan of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy the dream of God for your life and to get you off track from being the amazing world changer and history maker that God designed you for in the first place. So he binds up your broken heart and he declares liberty to captives. You're held captive by that which happened to you. Chains and shackles. You're held prisoner. It says that these are two types of groups. Proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. The captives are set free from that which happened to them. The prisoners, because of the guilt of what they did in order to deal with their pain, they're held guilty by that, and they're held in prison. And Jesus says, because of the power of what I bring, not only do I break the chains and shackles of your captivity, but I also declare to those of you in prison, sentence canceled. Yes. 
I open the prison door, you're free to step out of it in Jesus' name. So maybe in order to deal with your pain and to deal with the problems in your life, you got addicted to substances or alcohol or got addicted to pornography or you got addicted to workaholism or you got addicted to any number of things that now feel like they're, they're part of who you are. And Jesus says, no, because I'm transforming your understanding of what your life should really look like. I'm bringing you into a place where you understand you don't have to be subject to those things any longer. Could I get an agreement in the room, anybody? Now here's where it comes. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. You've taught on the day of Jubilee, year of Jubilee here. Have you taught on that some? Okay, so in 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 the Hebrew calendar, God set up as part of the, the covenant with Israel, the 50th year, to be a year of jubilee. And what would happen, because God knew that as, as the, the Jewish community moved on, that things would happen, people might get into debt. And so they would have lots of deaths happening with them. And, and in that community, you could actually sell your family or sell yourself into slavery to pay off a debt. So you could sell yourself into serving somebody for a period of time to pay off a debt. You might lose your property. You might lose your home. You, things would happen in an economic way that would cause you to have a setback. That might happen to you, it might have happened to your father, it might have happened to your grandfather. But on the year of Jubilee, all debts were canceled. Everybody that had sold themselves or their family into slavery to pay off debts, all of a sudden they were completely set free and all the debts were wiped off the books. So that everything that had happened bad during that time before the year of Jubilee, it was as if everything was restored back Amen. as it was originally. Amen. See, as I, I use a phrase when I'm praying for people who have organic problems or have uh, joint problems or things like that. One of the things I pray, and it's just one of those crazy phrases that the Holy Spirit gives you. God, please restore... God, please restore this body to original factory specifications. <laughs> to the way that it was originally designed to operate. That's what God wants to do with your life. And what happens then is because we experience that kind of restoration, then because we've experienced that, comes the next phrase that is so important. Not just the day of the year of the Lord's favor, but the day of vengeance of our God. See, part of the reason why you have been placed upon this earth is to be an avenger for God's justice to happen on the earth. It's when the kingdom of God 
is advancing and he's looking, God is looking for men and women to avenge the dream that God has had over all of humankind. And the way he does that is he takes the most broken, the most abused, the most abandoned, the most hurting, the most hopeless, and he gives them the good news. He heals their broken heart. He takes them out of their captivity. He opens the prison doors and releases them. And then he begins to infuse them with hope and life and power and grace and mercy and compassion. Because you have been broken, you have great compassion for the broken. Because you have been abused, you can have great mercy on those who are abused. You, because you have known what it is to be in captivity and chains, God puts not only within you a compassion for them, but an absolute passion, compassion and passion to see those living in chains and shackles to be completely free. Read with me the rest of Isaiah 61. He does this amazing divine exchange in verse 3 where those who mourn receive comfort, those who have ashes receive beauty, those who are in sorrow and mourning receive gladness. Those who have a spirit of heaviness receive uh, praise, a mantle of praise. And then they get an identity that they're the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now this is where the vengeance comes in. Then they, who are they? The poor and afflicted, right? Those that were once poor and afflicted, now they're the oaks of righteousness. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. The ancient ruins of what? The ancient ruins of the dream of God that was ruined by the destruction of the evil one. They will raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities. Read Buffalo into that. The desolations of many generations. And strangers will stand and pasture your flocks. And foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. But you will be called the priests of the Lord. You know what that phrase means right there? It simply means this. You're not going to have to work so hard for that which God has promised you. But indeed, God's going to call people to come and serve you. Not as slaves. Not as, not as simply employees, but as people that you are teaching how to enter into the family business. See, remember, Papa calls us into the family business? Then it's our job to call these into the family business. And we're going to show them the provision of God. If you do this, this is what happens. In the meantime, we're the priests of the Lord. And guess what the priests get to do? We get to stand in God's presence. We get to be the conduits of heaven coming down to earth. And every single one of our lives become the temple of God's presence that fills every place that we go. See, no matter how dark the place is, everywhere we go, the light gets turned on. Everywhere we go, people are, there's one, how many of you have been into a really, really dark place where there's not many Christians around? How many have been to one of those places? 
How many of you have experienced that there are some people that get drawn to you and there are others that get repelled from you? How many of you know that? That's not about you, by the way. It's not about your perfume. It's not about your deodorant. It's about well, who's in you. And those that are open at that moment in that dark place, they get magnetically drawn to you because you bring light. You bring hope. You, you know, that's why I say religion makes you look like somebody who's been sucking on lemons and drinking pickle juice all day. You've been to church. You know, you look out there. If you stand up here, you look out there and everybody's. You know, but the reality is, if you really let out what's in you, it's joy, it's happiness, it's peace, it's love, it's compassion. And just to walk into a room that's fully dark and demons everywhere and just smile, be happy. We're not intimidated by any of this darkness. We're not intimidated by demons or witches or all that garbage because it's all under the feet of Jesus. And those that are being used by the powers of darkness are simply spoils that we're going to bring into the kingdom. We're not going to be intimidated by their curses. We're not going to be intimidated by their threats. We're not going to be intimidated by any of that stuff because they're the spoils. We are part of the vengeance of God and we're going to love them so much that they're going to come and know this God. They're going to step out of their hopelessness and their false sense of power and walk into what it means to really walk in power. We are the priests. Say, I am a priest. You will be spoken of, this is verse 6, of, as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to eat the wealth of nations. And in their riches, you will boast. Say, I'm going to boast in their riches. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. Everybody look at me. This is really important. If you have Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in you, raise your hand right now. make this declaration to you and I say it as not only a representative of the kingdom but a minister of the gospel. I can say with full confidence that you have nothing to be ashamed of. Hear me. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Any shame that you carried into this place this morning is the lie of the enemy to keep you at a place of not believing the truth that every single sin that you've ever committed and every single thing that you're still struggling with as if it has not already been overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm saying to you, the blood of Jesus Christ takes care of all of your shame and gives you a double portion of grace, mercy, and forgiveness in Jesus' name. No more shame. Because shame is connected to my identity. But if my identity is in Christ, 
then it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, not only am I a new creation in Christ, the old has passed away, all things have become new, but literally 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he who knew no sin became sin on my behalf that I might be the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Say it with me. I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. No shame. In verse 7, instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. And here it comes. For I, the Lord, love justice. I love justice, he says. I hate robbery. In the burnt offering, that's religion. And I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. Think of all the peoples that are coming into Buffalo from all over the world. And they're coming into a place that at once was known as the Light City, right? The Electric City? Whatever they call that, I can't remember. I, I watched the video, but, you know, City of Light, thank you. City of Light. But then, began to be dark. But now, but God's word over Buffalo was always to be a city of light. And so all the peoples of the earth are going to be coming in. And what they're going to see is not just all the amazing influx of resources and money and talent and intelligence but what they're going to see are you they're going to see you and they're going to see you and your descendants be those that bring real transformation how many of you know that thank god we're supposed to send people out to the nations but sometimes god brings the nations to us where we don't have to go anywhere <laughs> it's amazing and all who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. One of the things that as a person that was brought up in the church and pastored in a number of contexts, Baptist and Vineyard, and I was part of the Willow Creek movement for a short period of time, and then Charismatic Mennonite, and now I, I run with, with Randy Clark. One of the things that has kept us from fully moving into the dream of God for our not only individual lives, but also for the life of the church is this fear to be real about our weakness. You and I were created by God to be incomplete by design. 
in that our bodies and our souls were created to have an empty space. That empty space is the place where Holy Spirit was to come in and really make this body work. Body works pretty well on its own. It's amazing. It's, it's an amazing complex machine that man has yet to duplicate both the brain power as well as the way every, all the molecules and the DNA, all that stuff works. But we're still incomplete by design. Without Holy Spirit power, we don't truly live our destiny, and that is to be a temple of Holy Spirit, super-fueled and super-empowered and turbocharged to do the impossible things that Jesus has called his church to do. That's why the Apostle Paul could say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, as he goes through this list of all the things that he's been through, and then he talks about that thorn in the flesh that he's crying out to God for. And by the way, I don't personally believe that that was a disease. I think it was either a person or a situation that just wouldn't change. How many of you had that in your life? Anybody? Anybody had a thorn in the flesh that wasn't necessarily in your body, but it was, you wish it, almost, it was so bad that sometimes you wish it had been that? I don't believe that was a disease. I think it was a situation or a person that, that Paul wanted something to change and it didn't change. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is perfected in your weakness. Now because in, in the church, we walk in and when you walk in on Sunday morning, we're all supposed to be fine. How are you today? I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, it's all good. I'm fine. We're bleeding. We're broken. We're, we're wounded on the inside. We just did something yesterday that we feel guilty and ashamed for. We don't know what to do with it, but we really can't expose that because we're in church and everything like that. And so we, we put up these walls. We, 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 we're afraid to let people in those walls because we're afraid we're going to be judged. Guys, how many of you know that first of all, not even talking about weakness, that every one of us got some crazy up here? Anybody know that? How many, how many come on, let's just confess. How many got some crazy up there? Anything? And see, what the enemy tells us is nobody thinks that kind of crazy thoughts like you do. I mean, you're really crazy. And if you told your spouse or you told your friends about those thoughts, they would really, I mean, they might put you away. They might do something. They might, I mean, that's, that's crazy. But why Christian fellowship is so awesome when it's real live koinonia fellowship is when we can open our hearts to each other and get the crazy out on the table. We can put it out there and then everybody else takes a deep breath and sigh of relief and said, oh my God, I've been thinking the same thing too. And all of a sudden, we all realize we all got, we all got a little bit of crazy. Well, we're not crazy. We all got a little bit of it up there. We got a little thinking that way. And when we put it out on the table, then we can deal with it and get healed of it and restored. 
It's the same thing with our weakness. If we're honest about our weakness and fight through the fear of being judged and condemned and not accepted, but know that we belong to a fellowship of people who will love us no matter what. That's what covenant is about, by the way, folks. That's what real covenant is about. It's not about being perfect. It's about being accepted and loved in the midst of our weakness. But when we do that, then what happens? Spirit of God, when we open up about our weakness, Spirit of God comes in and says, here, I'm going to fill that place. That's a weak place. Boom, I'm going to come and fill that place. I'm going to give you strength like you've never known before because you're not going to be giving all that emotional and spiritual energy into covering that weakness. Instead, I'm going to give you my power that will be made perfect in your weakness, and you're going to step into a greater level of living than what you've known before because it's going to be full of joy knowing that I'm taking care of it. That's the kind of higher level living that I want out of my life. Anybody else? But it's in the midst of that that we become the vengeance of God. We become his vengeance. We become his vengeance because then we get to go into ruined cities, into ruined lives, into ruined families, into ruined organizations, and we get to bring the power of the transformation that we've experienced there, and our very presence literally reverberates like that footprint. It reverberates in such a way that the glory of God brings healing and restoration just by my presence in the room. We change the atmosphere. We shape the culture. We move hearts simply by being present in the room because of the power that is already on us in Jesus' name. Could we go back to the PowerPoint real quick? I know I've lost you, but I've got a a picture I want to show you. Next slide. Uh, By the way, these two verses, Psalm 34 and Psalm 147, is from David, where he talks about being close to the brokenhearted, and he binds up, he heals the brokenhearted, binds up his wounds. David was the most traumatized man in the Bible next to Jesus, as far as I'm concerned. If you read his story, if you read the Psalms, you see a man who's dealing with his traumas his entire life, yet he was still a man that God declares in the New Testament, he was a man after my own heart, because he was real about his weakness. Next slide. In Japanese art, there's a form of restoration called kintsukuroi. And what it is, you know, in, in, in our Western culture, we are a throwaway culture. Something gets broken, we throw it away. We do that with people. But in Japanese art, they take a broken piece of pottery, and they take gold or silver lacquer, and they use it to put the pieces back together. And so, not only is the original form of that pottery restored, but it actually becomes more valuable having been broken. It becomes, there's more beauty, there's more value, and it becomes a powerful piece that demonstrates when we value broken things, broken people, 
and we give ourselves to seeing transformation. Next slide. That's what he does with broken hearts. That's what he does in broken lives. And so for you, Light City of Fort Erie, Canada, Ontario, I say to you today, in the name of Jesus, God is commissioning you to be the vengeance of God for this region, indeed for the nations, because some of you are called to the nations, I know you are. That vengeance means that that very place that is weak in you, that very place that has been a place of shame for you, that very place that you've not been able to believe God for, it's that very place that he wants to come and fill with the gold of heaven into that empty place, into that weak place, and let you see what you really look like as the dream of God for your life. See, this is about restoring the dream that he originally created you for in the first place so that you become not just a dream catcher but a dream restorer for yourself as well as everyone else. So the Holy Spirit is here right now in a very powerful way. And he's touching many of you in this whole area of weakness and shame. As I said to Pastor Ian and Pastor Tina, they've been called to a mission impossible, but so have you. The only way to live out the dream of God for your life is to let Holy Spirit come. And Tim, if you'd come for the keys, thank you. Let Holy Spirit come and meet you at the place of weakness. Meet you at the place of need, to meet you at the place of brokenness where he can fill that place and launch you afresh and new into the dream of God for your life. See, what, what you don't understand about me is that bef- when I was a pastor, I, although I counseled people and I, I prayed for folks, I'd been in healing ministry for over 30 years, Praying for folks with post-traumatic stress was not even on my radar. It wasn't anything that I ever th- even thought about. It wasn't even in my line of sight. But I had, was given an opportunity by Randy Clark to pray for a veteran, a military veteran who was suffering from bad chronic nerve pain and post-traumatic stress. And from the download the Holy Spirit gave me, that guy got healed. Then I was given another opportunity. Then I was given another opportunity. And all of a sudden, one day, Randy had to come to me because I was kind of like a deer in the headlights. I was like, I didn't know what was going on. And Randy came to me and says, Mike, I think you got something going on there with that PTSD prayer. Maybe you need to write that thing down. And, and, and maybe you need to do some seminars about that and train some other people in it because you can't pray for everybody who is in trauma because honestly, everybody's got trauma, right? Everybody's got trauma. So I was like, oh, okay. So I I just moved into this, and now here we are four years later, and I'm going all over the world training thousands of people and seeing tens of thousands of people get healed of post-traumatic stress. See, what I'm saying to you is this. I didn't ask for it, 
but it was part of the dream of God that God revealed to me when I allowed him to come into a place in my life of weakness and fill. If you're without direction today, or you're seeking for God's purpose in your life, what you need to know is get filled with the Spirit of God first. Let him come and fill that place of not knowing what your identity and purpose is. Let him come and fill that with his gold and bring the glory of God and he'll reveal it to you. So I just want you to close your eyes, put your hands out like you're going to get something. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You've been here in this entire meeting this morning. Thank you for your presence and power here. I see crowns being placed on heads all over the room. I see crowns and scepters being put into hand, put on heads and being put into hands. I see authority being distributed throughout the room right now. And it's on what the world would call the most unlikely heads, the most unlikely people. But it's because you're saying yes to allow you to come and fill your weakness. He says this is yours. You're kings and priests unto God. Come in power right now. Come and fill and move right now in this place in Jesus' name. Spirit of God, come in power. Let's just wait on it for now. I'm not in any hurry. I want the Spirit of God to do what He wants to do with you.